0: Hello podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in today to the InScape Quest podcast show. I am your host, Trudy Howley. Here I am talking with people about how they engage with their relationships, work and passions. Please subscribe and share this show with a friend and thanks to you we can grow meaningful conversations together one episode at a time. Today, I'm having a conversation with Cassandra Rusvold, licensed clinical social worker, somatic trauma therapist, and certified sex therapist. We discuss what might be needed in the world of sex education. Hi, Cassandra. <laughs> really great to have you here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. You're one of the coolest people I know. <laughs> oh, thank
1: you. You're pretty cool too. Rudy. Thank thanks you. for having me.
0: Let's dive in and I know that you have a thriving practice and you deal a lot with problematic sexual behaviors. I'm really curious like from a, the perspective of sexual education and what people are taught and what people Think are normal behaviors around sex. Where things going wrong here?
1: Something that's very important to me and I'm very passionate about. I think you know the first thing that comes to mind is the lack of conversation that is had around sex and sexuality, both within school systems, within family systems, but also within our culture at large. Unless it's talking about the extreme points of it, where it's not going well or where where it's problematic or glamorizing of sexuality, and not much about the like in betweens. So I think that's kind of a, a general spot I like to start in working. You know, as a sex therapist and and with people around all kinds of different sexual topics. Sometimes even just starting the conversation with them to even have people name what it is takes a long time and a lot of movement through discomfort because we don't have, at least in this modern day culture in the United States, we don't have the vocabulary to even have those conversations or the emotional regulation to do so. So yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest pieces that I think speaks to just the covert, you know, under the surface shame that we teach. By not teaching
0: with young people as well, in particular, that they can be so easily shamed and they don't know even what their values are because they haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to explore life or explore their sexuality. I'm curious if you could maybe define the difference between sexuality mm-hmm. and sexual orientation because i'm guessing it can change and be on a spectrum
1: sexual orientation is complicated itself so it, it generally it means who who are you attracted to but it, that doesn't have to mean who do i want to have sex with and who do i want to live with and who do what group do i socialize want to associate myself with and who do i fantasize about it can be a combination of all those things I'm not sure if, if that makes sense, but there's uh, Fritz Klein created this definition or kind of uh, chart to be able to look at what sexual orientation is. Most people just think, oh, sexual orientation is who I want to have sex with, but it's so much broader than that. Um, but generally, so just as a, as a go-to for our conversation, it's who, who am I attracted to? Sexuality is more about like how do I experience myself as a sexual being um, That can be a solo experience or a shared experience? As a sexual being doesn't always have to mean um, genitals coming together or um, the, even the experience of genital pleasure, but sexuality can be expressed in how we walk and how we speak and just more uh, a more broad experience or expression, of a sensual nature is part of, of what makes up sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then I just wanna add another piece which I think is becoming more clear with this amazing culture of millennium. The word sex itself can mean intercourse or it can mean uh, biological makeup of an XY chromosome, an XX chromosome, XO and so on and so forth
0: really wondering about the young generation as well because I know you know older women who've maybe been raised in a patriarchal society where they they don't even know what their sexuality is because they've followed heterosexist norms I guess in terms of perhaps servicing their husband and then So they're one end of the spectrum, like learning to explore their sexuality. And then you've got young people. I'm wondering if they're exposed to more of a culture of performance rather than exploration because they're so saturated with media images of self.
1: Again, it comes back to what what was the conversation that was or wasn't being had early on? good research especially more so out of like the netherlands um, mm-hmm. where sex is talked about more openly at age-appropriate um, amounts but over the course of the lifespan um, there there's a lot less performative sex there's less sexual risk-taking um, because there is an opportunity early on for little ones to start to um with within the context of supportive safe relationship explore what is my sexual self what is my sexual identity versus a lot of times folks kiddos in the U.S. who where there's an absence maybe there's a more strict religious upbringing and those conversations aren't allowed there's a a vacuum in which they're learning about their self they're not they're actually not learning who am I as an individual sexual being they're learning that's not allowed to be talked about. So I'm going to um, take my cues from media, from sexual imagery, i.e. pornography. And that's how it becomes more performative and goal oriented. And I dare I say, still very patriarchal and focused on male pleasure and male, uh, you know, sexual arousal cycles versus um, female bodied sexual arousal cycles.
0: Thank you. I mean, I know such a big topic and I'm aware that about 46% of the information about sexuality is is incorrect the information that's out there on the internet I know that there's only about 22 states that even mandate sex education in schools Mm -hmm. also that there's this peace abstinence only sex education that's taught doesn't work that it results mm-hmm. in more teenage pregnancies.
1: I would like to add: not only does absence-only focused education result in more teenage pregnancies and more occurrences of STIs, it also, again, has that covert ability to to promote feelings of shame because we are sexual beings from the beginning to the end of our lives. Whether or not we express that or acknowledge that, it's always there. And if I'm a kiddo or a teenager or young adult, and I've been told that the only, uh, you know, the message I get is that the only appropriate sexual expression is in the context of a marriage or a committed relationship. and And I'm experiencing a lot of pleasure in having sex in other realms. It's just the perfect recipe for shame, which oftentimes translates to the perfect recipe for mental health issues and problematic sexual behavior,
0: sort of self critical piece or projecting onto others. Yes, shame's a very complex issue in itself. You mentioned pornography earlier. And in terms of actually looking at images, I think it's so important for young people, especially to understand that this is a business. It's an industry mm-hmm. in terms of educating them about being aroused, like what happens in the brain chemically, like our executive functions get turned off when mm-hmm. and our arousal, all the chemical flooding kicks in, and maybe they're turned on by images that they find disgusting and then they feel shame.
1: Such an important point that you bring up, you know, and linking that with I think our need for more in depth, comprehensive sex education is that our erotic selves and what turns us on is not always in alignment with how we see ourselves to be day to day life. Again, that can create so much confusion and fear and shame that doesn't get spoken about, right? And there's there's something that I'd like to speak to that. Name, she wrote, "Come as you are." She really brought this to the forefront to the sex educator. arousal non-concordance is something that happens, which is where I have a, my body has a physiological arousal response, but at the same time, that doesn't, my mind can be going, oh, I don't like this. I don't feel okay about this. This is gross to me, just kind of like you mentioned. And that can happen, you know, obviously in sexual assault cases, um, but also in viewing of pornography. And then, but if we haven't known that, we haven't been given that information, then we're kind of left to our own devices to make up that maybe there's just something wrong with us.
0: seems like being proactive, educating our kids early on in in healthier ways, rather than all these social, cultural, fear-based ways just seem to be causing more problems the other end. Like you said, it goes on a spectrum to shame to end mental illness in some cases, which is really sad. There's a program, I think Dr. Sharon Lamb developed a program about sexual ethics for kids or high schoolers. And what I loved about that is she brought in all these questions that were answered through art and literature and (laughs) history. So it's like Mm -hmm. you bring a whole perspective into Mm -hmm. this question of how can we educate young people? I'm curious what your thoughts are about the system and how we can, as parents and educators and therapists, influence the system to change.
1: Well, I, I think I'm more inclined to think on like a community-based or grassroots level, and something I've been i found to be effective, in my role as a sexual health educator bringing in, and and right now I'm speaking to more preteen and teenage levels, bringing in some teenagers, preteens who feel, who are kind of leaders in their community and providing them with more education around sex and sexuality, and then having them lead kind of a mentorship program for their peers. If you try to bring in an adult who you don't really feel comfortable with to provide this education when you haven't ever talked about it. And you're, you know, 16. Plus, you're just in that stage where you're like, everything that adults say is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Like how much is really going to sink in. But you know, the social influence in, in the tribe of peers, I think is, is a really good place to start. So training up some of our our young adults and our teenagers and preteens to be able to bring this information into their schools into their social groups that's one way I think it could be really effective
0: that's excellent I love that idea and that approach Mm -hmm. and I know even wonderful shows like sex education on Netflix if maybe parents and their teenagers could end up watching that together that that could be a really (laughs) rich way of learning together as well even if they can stomach sitting next to their parents watching it. <laughs> well i think that that's such
1: a, an important piece too is like what level of comfort do the adults have that are having these conversations and yeah. or what level of understanding do they have about the real like biological physiological <clears throat> emotional responses and understanding of sexuality in general and that's what I found to be true too. With a lot of the parent teen workshops I I would run in the past, is it's like I don't even know how to answer these questions, or I I haven't even had this kind of conversation with my partner of thirty years. How the hell am I supposed to have it with my child?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that's a really excellent point to make. And there' are a paradox going on that kids are actually more open about sexuality than many adults are yet at the same time, are they informed or are they getting the right information? I guess the question is for you, is, is that what's part of the problem here? In a lot of ways, they are more
1: educated because they have access to the internet, um, which isn't always bad, you know, it's not always I'm looking at pornography. I mean, there's some great website resources out there uh, for teenagers that focus on sexual health, a lot there's a lot of conversation or even just memes coming up on instagram and things like that that are really have been i think very healthy for teenagers and their development of sexual sex. it is scarlet teen sex ed sex ed for the real world
0: and that's a good
1: resource very good resource yeah uh for teenagers and um you know, very LGBTQA plus
0: um, inclusive and aware, informed. So what's, what's your take on young people? Most of them seem to be more interested in hooking up and then they have conversations about being exclusive. Whereas my generation, it's more people were in relationships or they cheated. So there's this kind of, more open um approach to actually being in relationships and ex- sexual experimentation anyway do you think that young people are equipped to handle that emotionally again I, I you know as
1: is always it really depends on the individual like what what is their have they spent time getting really clear about what are my sexual values it, it Maybe if it is within my sexual value set to to have multiple partners and and that feels in alignment with me then and I and I have the ability to really check in on like an embodied level, not just a conceptual sense of self um, but I know in in my body when it feels right and when it doesn't feel r- right and I've been given more opportunities to, you know, when, when I'm getting cues that this doesn't fit for me uh, and when I am just maybe trying to get more social acceptance or um, am overriding what is really who I wanna be, um, then I think, you know, if somebody has those skills, then I don't personally, as a sex therapist, think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, mm-hmm. sexual exploration is a part of, of that developmental stage. For as the shift, I, I, the cultural shift, I mean, I, I just think that's part of, of the growth of the, the nation in general is becoming more, uh, you know, there's often that pendulum swing. It's like more uh, open to sexuality, less open to sexuality, you know, and, and I feel like we've kind of the pendulum has started to swing in this way where polyamory non-monogamous relationships are becoming kind of more mainstream.
0: And I'm curious as well how... COVID's going to be affecting people's sexuality because I know some people actually use sex as a way of anxiety relief. <laughs> What's going to be the outcome of people being locked up and working through their anxiety of the pandemic? People been more intimate with their partners? Have things been going well? Are people who, who've perhaps been in domestic abuse situations? Is it, is it worse? Well their use of pornography has that escalated into addiction I I do know that uh, I think
1: there'll be a whole spectrum for some people at least a lot of the the cisgendered men I work with pornography use has really ramped up but I also think it's put in perspective a lot for people about the need for real connection, physical contact. So, your last question previously one thing that I do notice with a lot of uh, young adults and uh, right uh, young adults and teenagers are having less physical sex now, but more virtual sex, right? So, more sexting, more um, webcam interactions, but less physical contact. And that was true even before COVID.
0: Be interested to know more about all the neuroscience of that as oxytocin releases Mm -hmm. when you look at images or vasopressin Mm -hmm. flooding or whatever goes on in the in the chemical part of the body what do we need to be educated around (laughs) if we're having virtual sex and and what are the legal ramifications of sharing those images wondering is in your job what do you think is the most important thing that should be normalized? I mean, one thing that is that I'm coming back to in my mind as I'm kind of
1: searching around in there <laughs> for the right answer. <laughs> uh, I think there's multiple right answers. What turns you on or what brings you physical pleasure is not inherently bad. Now, your relationship to that movement towards that pleasure you know there could issues could develop around that the fact that you're obtaining pleasure for some from some something isn't inherently bad it's what you do with it.
0: I have another question in terms of disclosure sessions as well in America I know that some there's a different cultural approach Europeans might approach it slightly differently and do you reveal everything or do you not reveal mm-hmm. everything? in a part in a committed partnership should
1: i don't know that i want to be the the <laughs> leading voice in that not that i will be but <laughs> <laughs> again it comes back like what is my value set and i worked so much with each of my clients on this okay what is my my set of values just in general for myself in this life and then what is and then sexual values can be might be a different set you know and the ones that that are conflictual between those two lists. That's really where, you know, you have to sort that out with, with a therapist or a trusted other, because if maybe you have a, one of my values is honesty with my partner, you know, honesty in all my intimate relationships, that's one of my number one values. And then one of my sexual values is adventure and a novelty or something maybe you're allowing yourself to have extramarital affairs within that value set but it's not congruent with this one because you're lying to your partner you know how do you sort that out i can't be the one who tells you you have to make that decision for yourself like you know in that role as a therapist i might say well how much distress is it causing you if it's causing you distress then it's a problem you know and that's usually the barometer some people come in and it's like yeah i've had affairs Um, But I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with not telling my partner, then my job as as a non-biased, objective person in their life is to say, okay, well, if that feels in alignment with you, then I'm going to follow that. But if it's causing distress to you, you know, psychologically, then it sounds like a change needs to be made.
0: In terms of problems and distress, what in your practice do you think your hope is for your clients in reorganizing and reintegrating? Do you feel like everything, everybody can achieve that? Or do you think there's some pathological sexual problems that just can't be integrated? There are times, and you you and I being,
1: you know, somatic trauma therapists, you know, there are times where it can present as being chronic and and, um, pathological because the level of early developmental trauma was so extreme that the ability, one, to develop a strong sense of self has been severely compromised, and the ability to develop um, strong connections with others has been severely compromised. Reworking those things takes some quite some time. You know, there's an individual I work with right now that I think of who has been addressing his uh, problematic sexual behavior for years and years, and really dedicated to group work, individual work, support groups, bibliotherapy, reading books, on and on, and yet he's still being able to uh, keep his value set in alignment with his sexual behaviors is a weekly challenge for him. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, given his upbringing, um, I just don't think that he has those neural networks that have been built up or laid down as firmly yet to be able to do that.
0: I'm interested in understanding better the sexual addiction versus addiction to drugs or alcohol or gambling is it one and the same or is it a different pattern of addiction
1: this is a very hot topic um, with a lot of controversial ideas on both sides and I feel like I kind of uh, walk this liminal space because I am sex therapist and that you know being a leading body around how to treat out of control sexual behavior in the U.S doesn't believe in sex addiction. And I'm also a sex addiction therapist, but the, the reality is that the jury is really still out on, is this the same as, uh, uh, is this the same, is the same thing happening neurochemically as other addictions. There hasn't been any conclusive repeatable research done to show that as of yet. So hence why it hasn't been included in the DSM Yet it does appear for some people to really mirror a process addiction. There are folks in my practice, I would say, you know, this person really does fit more of an addiction model and the addiction model is very, very helpful and fruitful for them. But I don't use that as a blanket approach by any means.
0: Understanding and supporting people who may be challenged by this, you know, how do we not just therapists, but family members or friends? How do we understand and support sex addiction? I
1: want to make another distinction before I answer it, though. I want to make a distinction between, you know, the terms I use, you know, sex addiction or out of control sexual behavior. Those are two models I'm very familiar with. Um, One is an addiction disease-based model. The other is a sexual health model that still addresses people who have, con- who have value conflicts. But there's also s- sexual offending behavior, right? And, and where somebody is violating another person's boundaries, sexual boundaries. And I wanna make a distinction with that, that that is, there can be overlap between these three things. Anybody who has sexual boundary, violating behavior against another person first and foremost needs to be seeking out treatment for that. And, and having learning accountability around that and um, ensuring that there are protective things in place. Because I think sometimes those things get really convoluted. So when I think about a family member coming in and learning that their loved one has sex addiction or out of control sexual behavior, sometimes the first thought is, oh my gosh, are my are my nieces and nephews or my grandchildren safe around this person? And I just want to clear up that it, it is not one and the same thing. Um, I think getting more clear about like, what is it that you're struggling with? Can you be more, you know, and maybe that uh, maybe that's not the right conversation to be had with a family member, but, um, but going into it without making assumptions and asking like it, it you know, is there anything that I need to be concerned about with vulnerable populations in our family? And if not, then just trying to be a more supportive um, presence and recognizing that a lot of this is the vast majority or every single one is rooted in shame in some way, sexual shame um, or, and also emotional dysregulation. Um, it is not a moral failing And I think that's where, uh, you know, people's fear and then judgment comes in immediately when they hear those terms, right? And so I would just encourage people to be conscious and thoughtful about the fear and the judgment.
0: In this whole idea of clear definitions and, you know, being proactive in education and getting the right information out there so we can have more of these kinds of conversations allow every (laughs) generation to be a part of these conversations i think is Mm -hmm. is a really healthy way forward just you know being on the spectrum of this journey that can be a positive thing is hopefully Mm -hmm. avoiding the problematic behaviors by having the education up front yes yes
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) i love that like now one of the things i've been feeling really excited and motivated about within the work that I do is, is doing sex education for adults too, because we need it as well. Yeah, There's so much that people don't know, or just even don't know how to say out loud.
0: Absolutely. And I think even the older generation as well, like people in their sixties, like polyamory is pretty common there. And also they have a pretty high rate of sexually transmitted diseases too. One of the
1: highest in the nation. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So thank you so much. I think we've covered a lot of ground and posed a lot of questions and hopefully taken the stigma out of some of these conversations. So much for having me, Trudy. yeah Love thank having you. this conversation. Thank you for listening to this inscape Quest podcast with me, Trudy Howley. If you like this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean and leave a comment. You can also find me on Instagram at inscapequest. Thank you for listening and for your shares. Cheerio for now.